Alright, that was the opening music to On Dangerous Ground, released by RKO Pictures, and directed by Nicholas Ray, and Ida Lupino directed for, I think, three or four days while Nicholas Ray was uh, ill, uh, although she went uncredited for that role. And uh, it's starring Ida Lupino and Robert Ryan and Ward Bond. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews. You can find us at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in Facebook or iTunes. Just search for Classic Movie Reviews. And this is Ida Lupino Month, and that's why we're watching this movie on Dangerous Ground. And uh, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from Seattle today. And I'm Bob Johnson, coming to you from Los Angeles. And uh, this is a really, really well-done, fun movie. Some background on the movie. As Matt said, it was distributed by RKO Pictures, and it was released about a week before Christmas in 1951. Nicholas Ray... uh, what I remember Nicholas Ray for is he directed Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean in, I think, 1955. He did a lot of different movies. Ida Lupino, Robert Ryan, and Ward Bond are the uh, leads in the movie. And Robert Ryan, as we've talked about in earlier podcasts, I think is as underrated as an actor as Ida Lupino was. And just an aside, we had... Nancy and I had dinner last night with a couple, and uh, the woman's mother was a neighbor of Ida Lupino here in Los Angeles and said she was just a really healthy, uh, great person, and they were they were really close friends. So I thought that was interesting. Oh, that's cool. That's a that's it's always a weird thing when you when you get those connections with people, you know, and and uh, that happens. A lot more frequently where you live because of that's where all these movies were filmed or made anyway. It was fun to talk about her. I guess she was, uh, you know, just really, really a solid citizen. Uh, the music was by Bernard Herman, who did uh, an awful lot of music for uh, Hitchcock films. And I couldn't find anything in my research about the box office, either the budget or the box office for this, but. I assume since Ida Lupino was involved, uh, it was probably a, a minimalist budget, and it did very well at the uh, in the theaters. That would be my takeaway, anyway. Well, the uh, sets were kind of minimal. I think they had a couple indoor sets uh, for the apartment or houses, and a lot of it was filmed either at night in the city. And you you pointed something out that I thought you should mention it. I think they were trying to say that that was a Los Angeles. Was that right? Well, in what I read, it it was uh, it it would start like a New York City detective. Robert oh, New Ryan, York. Okay, is burnt out. But <clears throat> as they have the opening credits scrolling on the screen, <clears throat> you can see clearly that the uh, the uh, picture is being taken in Denver on Sixteenth uh, Street. Because near the end of it, when they have the uh, uh, Bernard Herman and the screenwriter names, you can see the Denver Theater, which I'd been to, actually. So I, I don't know why they would say New York City, because it certainly was not. And you can't go 70 miles from New York City and get to Granby, Colorado. I don't care what kind of a time machine you're in. Well, were they were they trying to have that stand in for New York, and then he... he... 
Did they say that it was 70 miles away in the movie? <clears throat> there was one place where Ed Bagley said it's 70 miles away, or Robert Wyan. Oh, okay. And they never mentioned what city it was in. It's just <clears throat> one of the things I liked about it is the uh, the Denver setting in that yeah. opening credits. Yeah, the I like the rain. You know, there's a lot of uh, night shots where the where the street was reflecting the light from the street lights and the cars and they'd have the windshield wipers going and there's those three guys in the car i don't know if that's something that is done anymore where they have three detectives in a car together but when they do that roll call at the beginning they assign three detectives to each car yes. <laughs> it looked these a little days, crowded in there these days it would probably be either one or two but what i liked about the three is they they had a lot of camaraderie they were yeah. concerned about each other and the uh one detective was having trouble with his back because he'd been working in his garden. So they just stop at the local pharmacy, and the pharmacist gives them some kind of a potion. Yeah, I, li I like that scene because it's not only a pharmacy, but he's also like the local soda jerk, you know? Like he's got... <laughs> <laughs> he's got... What is that called? He's got like a counter with the uh, ice cream. Uh, and... Ice cream counter. Is, uh, yeah. Lunch counter. Like a I lunch guess. counter, I guess. Yeah, so... You could you could get your uh, ailments uh, dealt with and a, a, a Sunday, <laughs> all at the same time. All, all there was one time. of those in Boulder when I was in college that was fun to go to. Boy, that's a thing of the past. I I, I see them every once in a while. Like I I see places. Remember there was one in Snoqualmie that was the candy store, but also kind of had that feel like it was a nineteen fifties yes. uh, diner. So it, you see them every once in a while, but they're pretty rare. My mother and I used to go to the the uh, lunch counter in the Woolworth store in my hometown because she worked next door in a clothing store, and we'd have lunch together. Again, Woolworths and lunch counters. Yeah, you don't see those anymore. Well, another thing yeah. I liked about the beginning of the movie was they it opens up with these three scenes of the three detectives that we kind of follow. And one of the guys is married and his wife is really begging him not to go out because she doesn't want to be left home alone. And What's that for? Just good night. Oh, Pete, I don't like being alone. Pete? Come on. Pete? Come on. I, I felt like immediately connected to the characters. Like they just did a really good job of acting and, and the way they did the directing. And then the next scene is another detective, the guy with the sore shoulder. Uh, and he's got seven kids running around and they're all kind of watching a, a Western on an old style television. Wasn't that television something? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had one of those in our living room. And it was funny because as he's leaving to go, he he's like watching the TV. He's kind of backing out of the door. Like I just got to watch this one. I got to watch this one last scene. This one last gunfight. <laughs> In 1951, that was probably Hopalong Cassidy that he was watching. And then we and then we cut to a scene uh, with Robert Ryan as Jim Wilson, and he's all alone in this tiny little apartment, eating his dinner, and he doesn't even have a full kitchen. It's literally like a one bedroom apartment. Uh, and he's spending his time looking over mugshots. <laughs> yeah. He has some issues in terms of uh, being burnt out with the whole 
police thing. But what a great way to introduce his character as being somebody set aside from the others, you know, like Yes. The others obviously have a life outside of work where his life is all about his work and we get that immediately. And even the uh, the older gentleman with all the children talks to Ryan about how he's he needs to get involved with other people because all these these are gangsters and that sort of thing. told you when he put you back on the job what are you trying to do get thrown off the force okay so i get thrown off the force what kind of a job is this anyway garbage that's all we handle garbage didn't you know that's the kind of job it is well you've been doing it for 16 years you ought to know how do you do it how do you live with yourself i don't i live with other people this is just a job like any other job i do it the best i can it's never enough but i do it when i go home i don't take this stuff with me i leave it outside but you, the way you carry it around inside, you must like it. Maybe you think that makes you a good cop. The way you're going, you won't be good to anybody, not even yourself. Somebody had to tell you. To get anything out of this life, you gotta put something in it. From the heart. Let's get out of here. You coming? You go ahead. I'll call him. It was a great speech. I really, really liked that speech. And it was sort of one of those things that I don't know if somebody would actually do that in real life, like have that confrontation with somebody. And But it, it works really well in the context of the movie, you know. In a lot of ways, the film uh, holds up well because it, it has so many current aspects to it. The uh, frustration with the job, the interaction of the three officers. It just it doesn't seem dated to me at all as I watched it. Well... Like take take that example of the three opening scenes. We've got a guy who probably would like to stay home with his wife, and his wife is beautiful and and really wants him to stay home. And she's begging him, saying that I just please don't leave me alone. I just don't like being alone. But he's got to go because you know he's got to go to work. And then the second guy just probably would love to stay home and watch television with all these kids running around, you know. And and he's got such a great family life going and then but he has to go to work and then but the third guy is sort of that character who's a workaholic you know he doesn't know how to relate to other people and so he just immerses himself a hundred percent into his work and it's really to his detriment you know like mentally he's he's not stable <laughs> he's really not and he, he takes it out on some of his interrogation techniques um sort of a change of paces the music that bernard herman wrote for this movie i think is the best music he ever wrote for a movie and i read where he felt that this was his favorite uh film score of all the ones that he wrote and i read <clears throat> that about 35 minutes into this film in the music if you then flash ahead to the television westerns that were popular in the late 50s have gun will travel was one with palatin and the music in that is very very similar to this this movie i just think of all the movies that we've watched this is right up there with with the best uh, background music you can find it just added so much 
And did you notice, in the first half of the movie, it's got a very dramatic, hard, pounding sound. You make me do it. Why do you make me do it? You know you're going to talk. I'm going to make you talk. I always make you punks talk. Why do you do it? Why? Why? And then as he begins to change and fall in love with the Idol Lupino character, it becomes much more gentle. You better get those boots off. That'll dry. Lost him. Really lost him. Softer, and it's just, it fits the plot of the story. Yeah, the way that they did that was really, really well done, and it's subtle. And the other thing I liked uh, was the, the contrast, the, the, the huge contrast between the, the first half of the movie and the second half of the movie where the first half was all at night, rainy, dark, uh, claustrophobic feeling, a lot of shots of the three guys in the car. And then the second half of the movie is the sweeping vistas of beautiful scenery and, you know, snow. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like you couldn't get to more kind of different feels, but it really works to kind of push the movie forward and the plot. I got fascinated by... Uh the location filming in Granby, Colorado, because I, I've been there. And so yesterday I looked up on the Internet photographs of Granby. It's a town of about 2,000 people. It's about 85 miles, 70 to 85 miles from Denver. And honestly, the photos, many of them look like they were right from the film. I mean, they weren't, but it's just it's such a beautiful area. Um, and it... Having grown up in Montana and Colorado in the winter, they really, really brought across how cold and and uh, open it can be and how isolated you can feel when you're out in that weather and as they're chasing, as uh, Robert Ryan and Ward Vonder chasing that young man who'd killed the woman. Yeah, that, that chasing, like starting with the car chase, and then they get out of the car and they start chasing him on foot, and that was intense because i i kept thinking like they're somebody's gonna freeze to death you know like they're just out in the middle of nowhere and then sort of miraculously they find this house where ida lupino is living and it you know turns out that that's where the young man danny i think it's danny malden uh also lives then we kind of get into the third act of the movie where it's this interaction between robert ryan and ida lupino and how that really changes i think both of them are kind of changed by by that interaction oh totally uh, she was um well a couple of things i thought was interesting uh, were interesting uh the ward bond character at the beginning of the f- of when he shows up in granby he's the father of the murdered uh i believe a high school girl he's as angry and and uh belligerent as robert Wyant ryan was in the city They seen him. Have you heard anything? No luck yet. Who are you? 
What do you want here? Walter, this is Jim Wilson, special officer. Wants to talk, ask questions. Get the kids out of here. Go on, get them out of here. Special officer, huh? Yeah, detective squad. They sent him out from the city. That's all we need around here is a few more special officers. Well, let me tell you something, mister. You ain't gonna ask no questions. We've asked them all and we know the answers. It was my kid, and it's gonna be my gun that takes care of him when we get him. We're all pretty anxious to get him. I'll get him, don't you worry. And when I do, there won't be any of your city stuff. No fancy trials. No sob sisters. I'm just gonna empty this shotgun in his belly. Anybody tries to stop me, you'll get the same thing. You gotta catch him first. It's almost like a parallel. Yeah, but it's total, but it's, but it, oh, but that's, I wanted to talk about that because I could relate to Ward Bond's character so much more because he was angry because this guy had killed his daughter and, and he was out to get this guy no matter what. And I don't think he cared whether he ended up going to prison or not, but he was going to take his vengeance out. Oh and yeah, revenge was on his mind for sure. The Robert Ryan, we never really understand fully what happened with Robert Ryan's character to bring him to that place where he was in such a dark a dark place in his job and his life. But I, I I just I even though I I didn't like the way Ward Bond was at, you know, his character was acting, I I related to it. I did too. I was just I was just going to say that he he goes through a transformation as well. Absolutely. Near the end of the movie. So both the 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 two male leads both change in how they perceive the world around them during the film in two hours or well, less than two hours. Well, it's an hour and twenty minutes. Do you think? Do you think that at the beginning, when we first meet each of those characters, that they they're sort of the stereotypical or prototypical macho, angry man? who sort of like is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulder and is, is kind of like got a chip on his shoulder too. But oh, then, yes. but That's through cool. the, through the events of the film, they, they become more humanized, you know, they, they have like, they're more able to have emotions. Like Robert Ryan is able to fall in love and Ward Bond is able to have forgiveness. Right. I think that's one of the beauties of the films that Ida Lupino did in the 1950s prior to her doing so many television shows she dealt, and I know she was directing part of it, not all of it, but I think she was also involved in behind the scenes and some of the writing. She dealt with these very, very real life issues. One of her films dealt with rape. Another one dealt with uh, uh, a woman having a uh, a child out of wedlock. She had this movie, the one last week about the psychotic killer in the car. She really dealt with meaty subjects and this film certainly is there i think her influence is in this film in terms of how the two men change yeah well uh just just to go through the plot real quickly so it opens up with robert ryan and his uh detectives his his uh partners kind of just chasing down criminals in denver or new york or wherever it happens to be and through the course of the first 30 minutes of the film, uh, Robert Ryan kind of descends further and further into into kind of darkness uh, to the point where Ed Bagley, I love Ed Bagley was in the movie. Yes. Isn't he, isn't he wonderful as a character actor? In this? Yeah, he's so good wow. uh, playing Captain Brawley. Uh, but when he was having that meal at that restaurant, <laughs> it just looked like he hadn't eaten in about a week. 
Is Captain Brawley here? Hi, Chief. Hello, Jim. Oh, George. Some more bread. Yes, Captain. Sergeant called up, said you wanted to see me. Yeah, I told him to call you. Well, what about him? Uh, you had breakfast? Do you like to eat? No, thanks. Soup is all right, George. You sure you don't want to eat? That uh, Bernie Tucker, he must have put up a hard fight. No. I understand, I understand. Back in the old days, he used to give me trouble, too. But you let yourself get out of hand. This Bernie, I got a call from the hospital. George. More peas. Who called from the hospital? His lawyer, his lawyer called. Uh, you never can tell. Never tell what? The way they cook vegetables in this place. Wonderful. His lawyer wants to talk to you. Uh, could be something about another civil suit. What for? Ruptured bladder. You should be more careful, Jim. You don't get information being careful. I got your lead on Mushy Castro, didn't I? Yeah, I know, and we picked him up. Him and Gordy Miller, early this morning. You're a good officer, Jim, one of the best. But another deal like this, and you know what it means. Yeah, I know what it means. Take it easy. That was like a 10,000 calorie meal. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he says that, you know, you've got to get out of town. You, you, you're you you're just one step away from losing your badge and, you know, being thrown in jail yourself because uh, Robert Ryan's character is you know, beating up everybody that he runs into on the streets. Um, and that's where he ends up going to Granby to help track down uh, a killer of this young high school student who is the daughter of uh, Ward Bond's character. And when he first gets there, he's kind of this stoic, uh, tough guy. But then through the course of finding out what actually happened, and we learn quite a bit about Danny Malden, and he's he's a tragic character. I thought he's the one who ended who who did kill yeah. the young the young girl. Harry's pretty. That other girl, she was pretty too. But she wouldn't smile. She had a blue dress. She was she was laughing. When she saw me, she stopped laughing. There were two of them. The other ran away. She wouldn't smile. I wanted her to smile, but she wouldn't. I tried to make her smile. It really was a, a, a tragedy the way it ended. Wasn't it something, though, as, as the two men walked back from the chase, how Ward Bond was carrying the young boy? Well, that was really powerful. Like, they, yes, they were chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, and it was like... It was like one of those uh, horses, horse chases chasing a fox. It was so out of proportion to me, like watching these two grown men, one of them with a shotgun, uh, chasing this this young guy, and he was scared for his, you know, out of his wits, and he runs up to this hill that's behind that the house. And earlier in the movie, we learned that one part of that hill is is just kind of a sheer cliff, and. Uh, Danny is climbing, climbing, and, and Robert Ryan and Ward Bond's character are climbing after him, and then 
Danny slips and and falls and and is killed. And that scene when Ward Bond, whose character's name is Walter Brent, realizes that it's just a young kid. It's just a kid like his daughter's age or maybe even younger. Just a kid. That's all he is. Just a kid. Better take him out of the house now. Wow, that was that was really well acted. And all through this, <clears throat> the music was perfectly matched to the scenes and the script. It just it could not have been better in my mind. Oh, the music was such a great uh, aspect of the film, and the cinematography. Wow, uh, the the whole second half, I kept thinking that. This needs to be remade. This movie is begging to be remade in like widescreen, high mm-hmm. definition, you know, beautiful color. It's just God, it was it was the story. I know there's been movies kind of similar to this, but something about the way that these characters go through that transformation is is really powerful. I was uh, struck by um Mary Molden, uh, Ida Lupino's character, <clears throat> how how comfortable she was with herself and with her uh, issues with her sight. And these two guys, Ward Bond and Robert Ryan, show up. And first of all, they try to set her house on fire accidentally with that uh, <laughs> kerosene lamp. And and Ward Bond is could not be ruder and more uh, aggressive toward her. I'm so sorry. Find these things like I told you. You said you lived here alone. I said there was nobody here but me. No, you didn't. What I meant was... Who lives in the room across the hall? My brother. When he's here, but he isn't here now. Where is he? Tell us where he is. He went away for a few days. Where'd he go? You better tell us where he is. Let make her tell us. I said he went away for a few days. Went away where? Over to a farm about ten miles from here. Ten miles doesn't take a few days. He's staying there. I still think she's lying. Look at me. Look me right in the eye and tell me. She can't, I told you. She's not lying. She's stalling. She's got him hidden somewhere. And through this whole thing, she's like, she's almost saintly. Yeah, absolutely. She's like so centered and like calm. What's his name? Brent. I feel terribly sorry for him. I wish I could help him. He said... He said you were a cop. That's right. Tell me, how is it to be a cop? Yes, so you don't trust anybody. You're lucky. You don't have to trust anyone. I do. I have to trust everybody. Did you ever know anyone who was blind before? No, I never did. 
I thought perhaps you had the way you act. Most people would have taken the tray from my hand, set it on the table and tried to make the tea. But you didn't. And when you talk to me, there's no pity in your voice. What time is it? It's late. You can't go out looking anymore tonight. Why don't you rest in front of the fire and you can get a fresh start in the morning? Don't worry about us. We'll make out all right. You'll stay. Uh, up until the end when she finds out that her brother was killed and then she kind of has a breakdown. Uh, I mean, understandably. There's one scene that I think could have been left out of the movie. If you think back to when Robert Ryan and, and Ward Bond show up and then Robert Ryan is going to walk Mary Malden back to her home and it's the outdoor location is perfect. And then they shift to about a 30 second to a minute clip of them walking with the back screen. And then they go back to the location where they get to their house. And I'm thinking, yeah, I saw why, that. why did they stick that one, one minute scene with that back screen? And it, it was not necessary. And it detracted to me for me from the location. Yeah, it was really noticeable when they switched. Uh, that's kind of unfortunate. I don't know why they decided to do that. I felt maybe they felt like they needed some kind of transition there, but I don't think they they did. I think it would have been fine. There was another scene I didn't understand as well, where he was. They were uh, Jim Wilson and Walter Brent were sleeping by the fire, and Jim Wilson, which again is Robert Ryan's character, tries to take the gun away from Walt, Walt, Ward Bond's character, Walter Brent. And he he looks like he does get the shells out or something, but then Walter Brent wakes up and then immediately Jim Wilson like pretends he's asleep again. Yeah. Like I thought that could have been cut because I don't think it really added anything to it. It's almost like they wanted it to be eighty-two minutes long instead of eighty. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that played into it or not in terms of how it was going to be in a double feature in the theater. Well, according I to interrupt- according to some of the trivia on IMDb, this movie was uh, re-edited a couple times, and a few things were moved around. And then the the original ending was much more downbeat, where they don't end up together, where Jim and Mary oh. don't end up together, but. The studio executives wanted it to be more of an upbeat ending. And then there's also 10 minutes that were cut out in the film. So I guess they were trying to really find the right edit. I, I just, oh. watching it now, I think they maybe could have cut out a couple more minutes. <laughs> uh, I interrupted when I was talking about that back screen scene. You were talking about Mary Malden and, and uh, her character. Did we cover that? I... Well... What I liked about her was that she she was very self-assured, like in her home and kind of around her home. And she didn't want anybody to be having sympathy for her. And I felt like that was her weakness. Like she, she wouldn't let anybody in because she was yes. she was wanting to be so strong and, you know, kind of needed to be in order to take care of her little brother, Danny. Uh, but I think at the end is they have that breakthrough where Robert Ryan will allow himself to feel love and Ida Lupino will allow herself to sort of be loved, I guess. And, and I, so I, you... I, I agree. She, she had, uh, yeah, that was an issue in my happy world. After they get together near the end, uh, 
she goes to the Denver or the big city and her eyesight is restored and then they live happily ever after on that farm ranch up in the mountains of Granby. Oh, it's just kind of like the ending of City Lights, right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> With sound. <laughs> With sound. It, but I tell you, I, did you see my rating that I sent to you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I couldn't decide, so I went nine and a half out of ten. <laughs> it's as close to a ten as I can get it. But just a couple of scenes, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, went with a, I went with a nine. But it, just an excellent movie. Highly recommend it. You can, you can, if you're a Netflix subscriber, that you can get DVDs and not just the online stuff. Uh, you can get it from Netflix. Um, I, I don't know if I, it, this one is not in the public domain. I don't believe. I don't think it is. I think I read on one of the websites that it had a perfect score in terms of audience favorability as they look at it. What the 100%. heck does that mean? Well, that's that's a new metric I have, we haven't talked about before. It, it, you know, I just <laughs> threw that in because it, I'd never seen that before. I think it was on Rotten... Uh, uh, is it Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes. One of the rating. Well, it's got and a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb with uh, almost 4,000 reviews. So that's pretty good. It's pretty darn good. What, what What's up for our next podcast in Idolapino month? Well, we've found one on YouTube, right? Not Wanted, 1949. Oh, that's right. Not Wanted. So yeah, next week it's going to be Not Wanted, and it stars Ida Lupino. And uh, was that directed by her as well? 49 i believe i think you know that now that i think about it i think she did direct it i think it yeah it's one that she directed and starred in yep it is so that's going to be fun so the first week we watched one that she directed but didn't star in this week we watched one that she starred in and directed for three days and next week we'll watch one that she directed and starred in so and it's available on youtube and we'll put a link in the show notes for that one so thanks for listening, everybody. This has been fun, and uh, we'll be back next week. And coming to you from Seattle, it's Matt Johnson. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles wishing everybody happy movie watching. I've got to tie this movie back to my favorite movie that uh, that I always bring up, which is Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> Blade Runner. Oh, I got to hear this. Okay. So, at the beginning of Blade Runner, we've got Decker, who's the detective, and he's he's dressed almost exactly like Robert Ryan is in this movie. And he lives in L.A., and it's it's the L.A. of the future, and it's real rainy and dark, and there's lots of people and crime, and and he's got a captain who kind of sends him out on this mission and i thought holy smokes this beginning of this movie uh parallels the beginning of blade runner in a lot of ways and had a real sort of like film noir uh feel to it and and i thought instead of uh 
Rachel, who's the replicant in Blade Runner. We've got Mary, who's sort of like the the stand-in for Rachel in, in my Blade Runner parallel universe here. And how the two of them, uh, Decker and Rachel, kind of form this relationship and then kind of run off together at the end. We've got Jim and Mary forming that relationship and running off together at the end. <laughs> so... It, it, in this interpretation, then it's another way of bringing Rudger Hauer into our into our presentations, because he's in that as another replicant, isn't he? He is. He's the kind of the lead replicant. Yeah, not Would sure he be what his character. By Ward Bond. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> they, I got to give this well, some more thought. <laughs> yes, we, we maybe we should do a double feature review of those two movies, and but then man, at the end of it, but aren't also. They driving, Aren't they driving off into the beauty of the countryside? Oh, in the terrible, in, ter- in the terrible, terrible theatrical cut they are, but not in the the director's cut. Um, but the other thing that was a similarity to me is remember when they're flying around L.A. in those cars in in Blade yes. Runner? Oh yes. It kind of reminded me of these three guys driving around the city at night. You know. Wow. <laughs> so well, I I got to think about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it's a stretch, or I'm just slow. I don't know, but I had, I just had a weird feeling watching it. Like this is really feeling f- familiar to me, and then I was like, "Wow, it kind of reminds me of Blade Runner." 